Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. As always, Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Good, thank you. Today on the program, we're talking tech, and this is a pretty interesting company, Hookamotion. They help businesses like casinos optimize their monitoring processes. So they use automated table tracking and software to help uh, detect fraud and eliminate errors. Another example of uh, local Quebec tech making an impact internationally, Mike. Yeah, we've, uh, we, keep, uh, we keep getting these great guests at the end of the day that continue to show us uh, just how good our marketplace is in, in, in building young, uh, strong entrepreneurs. And I think this is going to continue for some time to come. I don't know if this is a, a byproduct of uh, you know, years and years of government support on the R&D side, if that is uh, finally starting to take its, uh, its toll, or whether the universities have really been pushing these entrepreneurials. I know with uh, uh, you know, you've, you've got different scenarios that, that that are popping up on a regular basis. You've got Centech is working as uh, the incubator. So there's a lot of a lot of action out there. A lot of good things happening, and we've had quite a few of them on our show this year. And it, it's it's really great to see. So Master Class going to be along. He's the founder of Hook Motion, and in that environment, you know, I, I've only really been to a casino uh, maybe a dozen times or so, but you've, I've seen the movies and Ocean's Eleven, and you get a sense of how intense the security systems are there. Um, people are watched all the time, every different angle. So it's a really interesting process. And now it's being aided by AI. So that's what this product Hook Motion is all about. Matsu will tell us about it in a little bit. And um, I wanted to take some time to talk about pressure in the workplace, Mike. And uh, you wanted to, to talk about um, the science of choking. And certainly when you're in a high pressure environment, like a casino, for example, I mean, when the stakes are literally high um, and you have to be on a constant watch for, for threats to your business, um, Pressure becomes a whole other thing. It's something that you should study with science and study with uh, as a best practice. You read this piece from Harvard Business Review, The Science of Choking Under Pressure. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think this whole discussion of choking under pressure, you know, I mean, for those those people that are sports fans, obviously, uh, you know, you can you can relate to it probably a lot more than you can think of in the office uh, space. But, you know, it's uh, there's there, there, there's there's two minutes to go and Tom Brady gets the ball and you know, he runs, goes down the field and scores. And, and you wonder why, why can't every other, you know, uh, quarterback or, or somebody do what they need to do in those environments. And, you know, you look at this and you go, Hey, there's a reason why people have mastered, uh, their, their ability to control their mindset and things. And, you know, the science of choking really what, what it is, is those people that are generally more conducive to high pressure, uh, you know, are going to end up finding, um, you know, the, finding a way to, to try and go around their own issues. And, you know, somebody made the example of, of, you know, you put your hand up in class and you got this great answer and you're going to say, okay, great. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer the teacher. And then as soon as the teacher says, yes, Mike, and your hand goes down, the entire class turns and looks at you and you go, uh, 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 uh you freeze, right? So that's choking under pressure. And, you know, I, I think that those that are subject to the optimal performances and are constantly being put out there, obviously, have a much higher pressure put on them on a regular basis. So, you know, you either become the Tom Brady's of the world or you become the not so Tom Brady's of the world and find yourself one year as, as a quarterback as opposed to, you know, whatever it is, 25. So, you know, you look at this environment, and you say, hey, what is it that I need to do as an individual? And how do I then take that to school or to work? And how do I address on these things? And in most cases, you know, Pressure is is something that we put ourselves under, and we need to learn how to cope and adapt our own behavior mechanisms in order to deal with these things. And and you know the article starts talking about you know certain things that you need to do in order to address 
uh, how you handle pressure. And, and I will point out that this is going to be different for everybody. Everybody has a different tolerance level. Everybody has a different ability for risk management. And everybody has a different ability for, the, for what they can carry on their shoulders. You need to understand how it affects you and how to address it. You know, if you're going to do a presentation in a boardroom, how does that, how do you expect to be, to be dealt with? So some of the things you want to do is you need to be there over and over again. You need to constantly have yourself in that space. You know, you, you can't walk into a presentation or you can't walk into a football game if you're not prepared. Okay. You need to be there. You need to have your head in the game. You need to be constantly looking at it. You need to practice for pressure. I mean, let's face it, the very first time anybody's ever faced pressure in their life, chances are there was a little bit of cracking under pressure. So how do you deal with that? you got to put yourself in an environment where you're constantly mastering pressure. Why do pro sports teams practice? They practice because pressure's coming. And you can, it's one thing to, to throw a quarterback uh, touchdown in practice. It's another thing when you got uh, you know 300-pound linemen running into your face. So you, you have to look at how you're going to adjust it. Develop a pre-performance routine. Now, this is going to be different for everybody. One of the things I find interesting here is some people need to be overly prepared. Okay. Other people find that uh, over-preparedness ends up resulting in a very stiff presentation. I happen to be one of those people. I like to fly by the seat of my pants on a lot of things. And I do find that the key to that area is I'm really not not prepared. I'm talking about a subject. I'm in an area that I already know. So my confidence level is already there. But if I go in and I get a 12 slide presentation and I start reading from the slides, you can put the snooze button on because I'm going to put you to sleep real quick. Okay. Um, and don't just think so. Do it. Do what you have to do. You know, develop that stress mindset. Develop that ability to play under pressure, to, to deal with the staff around you. And then obviously rationalize the event and look at those bumps. You know, my, my, my favorite exercise is to try and interpret what questions are going to come my way before I even start an, an, an exercise. Why? Because that way when they, when, they, when they come my way, what would I ask? Where would my mind be if, if I was going to ask a question? And try and put yourselves in that side because now all of a sudden you've got so much more confidence in what you're doing. I, I don't want to be the type of person that says there are two kinds of people. Um, but are there two kinds of people in this respect? Are there one kind who really flourish under pressure and the other who flounder under pressure? Um, I'm not sure that that is a from birth thing. You know, it's the whole discussion of leadership, right? Is a leader created or a leader born? I, I don't know if people crumble under pressure uh, from birth. I think a large part of it is a learned behavior. Uh, I do feel that you can take somebody that has a lack of confidence and allow them the confidence in whatever works in their way to move them forward to do certain things. I've watched some very successful people, okay, who, so long as the pressure is not on too hot and heavy, are wonderful. And as soon as the pressure comes on, they crack. Um, but you can usually tell, and certainly in a work environment, in a team environment, you get this opportunity where you're looking and you go, hey, wait a second here. Uh, I can tell you before who's going to uh, exceed and who's not. Uh, and uh, COVID was a great example. I mean, we, we, you know, we went, everybody went home a little over two years ago, and I could have written a list of who was going to outperform and who was going to underperform based on having watched people along the way. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure any of that has to do with, you know, whether that person is a outgoing, strong individual or whether they're just capable of mastering their own issues. I was going to say there's a lot on, on the Harvard list uh, that I like. Uh, the one that I, I like the best is practicing for, for pressure and developing a pre-performance routine because, you know, in my experience, um, I, I got rid of my stage fright on CJAD, actually. You know, they, being thrown into breaking news environments, being on the spot covering things. 
you just can't mess up. So you have to have a system and a script and and values going into these exercises so that you can handle, um, you can weather the storm and 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 be in, in in my case at the time articulate when I'm covering a breaking news event or whatever. So it's um yeah it's for me I I found it's uh it's not any kind of innate skill set. It's just being prepared. It's being prepared, and again, it's how you it's how you manage the situation. I mean, and I think you know. Obviously, the more opportunity you get to be in more pressured scenarios and the more times you succeed at doing that, the more you automatically think you can do it. And right there, you're already starting to battle an you know, obstacle. If you've got one pressure situation a year, uh, you know, you're going to be thinking about it for 364 days and, man, you're going to drive yourself insane. But if you're faced on a, on a regular basis, like you're saying, Dan, you know, you're, you're, you're thrown into uh, you know, uh, something very quick, unexpected, and you you handle it each time. You remember how well you've done it, and the more opportunity, it's like anything else, right? You practice. The more opportunity you get to, to succeed, the more opportunity you get to score a goal, the more opportunity you get to throw a touchdown, the more you believe you can. And I think that's why a very large part of this is is psychological. And you know, when you ask me, do I think this is an, an innate or a learned? I, I think it's a very strong ability to be learned, but you need the support along the way as well. Any uh, final pieces of advice for uh, entrepreneurs, especially lately, who feel, um, Mike, that they're under an increasing amount of pressure, but also pressure that's beyond their control, which is something that's it's difficult for a lot of people to process? Yeah, I, the one thing I see a lot, and obviously living in the uh, the professional services world and the accounting world is, you know, don't think too hard, guys. Uh, don't overthink it. Uh, do, 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 do. And, and, you know, one of the big problems that that we see is is this lack of execution and you know it's always been one of my you know if you ask me what my my one piece of advice is for entrepreneurs and you know one of them is always one of the top three is always execution and what de defines that ability to succeed ultimately at the end of the day is your ability to execute well if you overthink it and you keep deferring it and you don't go it doesn't mean going unprepared it also doesn't mean spend you know an inordinate amount of time trying to determine how and, 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 and solve it. At some point in time, you got to do, and do goes a long way in building confidence and recognizing that the occasional mistake is all part of life. And it's a learning curve. And it's, it's not a, you know, you, you got to make sure you don't do it on the things that make you go bankrupt, right? But, uh, you know, if you're going to make mistakes, uh, there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. It's, you know, part of my problem with the world right now with, our, with the kids growing up is, you know, this, this, this whole ability to either never make a mistake or yeah, it's okay to constantly make mistakes one way or another. There's got to be an accountability for the behavior and there's got to be this learning that's going to create a whole bunch of momentum when you go forward. Like I know uh, as a millennial, you'll be thrilled to hear this, but I was clearing out my parents' old house a couple weeks ago and I did decide to throw out my, uh, my baseball participation trophies. I, I tossed them. Yeah, you see that one you might not be able to get me on. First of all, I'm not a millennial. I'd, I'd like to think I am, but I'm not. I'm a little older than that. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer crossing on the baby boomer mindset. So you know, uh, but but thanks for the compliment. Uh, yeah, see, I can't get rid of those early trophies yet. That's uh, that's still part of uh, who I was as a kid. And even though I am no longer anywhere close to being that person I was as a kid, I'm not sure that kid wasn't more a little more sincere, honest, and 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 nice in the world. So hey, what do you want me to tell you? If you if you've overcome that, good for you. I'm not there yet. <laughs> All right. The results from the participation trophy comment is one eye roll from the Zillennial and one thumbs up from the Gen Xer. And let's get right to our profile for this week, Mike. He is a, the young founder of a company called Hook Motion. They uh, are all about monitoring and uh, they're in the casino business now, but they want to sort of get into uh, a whole bunch of businesses to deal with automated monitoring. And it, it evokes sort of images like we see in those old movies uh, or even recent movies like Ocean's Eleven, right? You had the 
giant security apparatus behind the scenes at a casino, 70 people monitoring you know, 3,000 screens. Well, fast forward a few years, and a lot of this is getting replaced by AI. Uh, yeah, it, it's fascinating. This 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 whole discussion on on what hook motion is is created, uh, I think, is one more use of of AI and where it's taking us. And you know, you can talk about it in the environment of a casino, uh, in protecting your assets and 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 watching you know the patrons or watching your staff. But is that any different really than a retail store looking for shoplifters? I mean, the whole goal in a casino is to make sure that everything is running according to plan. And you know, those of you that have ever been to a casino, the reality is somebody is always watching you and has always been watching you. Um, you know, your, your example, uh, uh, Dan, of, you know, Ocean's Eleven is a really good one. I think those of us that, you know, follow that kind of thing can see a whole bunch of people sitting in the back room, uh, you know, monitoring screens. I think what, uh, what we're going to hear from Mathieu is this ability to use the technology to interact uh, and, and to follow and to monitor and then do something more importantly is do something with the information that comes out. Let's introduce now the founder of Hook Motion, Mathieu Klaas. Mathieu, welcome to today's Entrepreneur. Hello, everybody. Obviously, this came from an idea, came from sprouted from from you know infancy. What prompted uh, was this a was this a tech play and finding a use for it, or was this something that was initially designed uh, for a specific use? So um, we we came up with the, this this whole idea. It really, is it's a market pull. Um, how it all came to be is actually. I was uh, finishing my um, bachelor in uh, mechanical engineering, and I was in an entrepreneurship class. And uh, it was at the ATS, so uh, it was uh, done with the, the Centec, which is an incubator. And it just so happens that Lotto Quebec uh, was a partner, and they were there sort of looking for actually sort of interns, and they were presenting some of the challenges that they had uh, basically around table games like Blackjack, Baccarat. And they present the the issues or the challenges that they have. Basically, that you know these tables are, in the end, just two people, one in front of the other. There's no electronics, and tracking what's going on is very hard. Which means that it's inevitable that there will be you know mistakes and errors and uh, and fraud. And when I learned about this issue, I, I think I had the same reaction as you did. I, I thought of movies, Ocean's Eleven, and I was like, I can't believe, I can't believe there's no, nothing existing like this yet. Um, and so I, I started talking to them. Uh, I got really, really <laughs> interested and, and committed in this project. And uh, it, it really started from there. I, I, we, we went out, talked to other casinos, realized that this was a worldwide problem. And that's how we started the, the company. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at all of this and you say, yeah, I can see this very, you know, like a, you know, eye in the sky mentality, which I think anybody who's ever frequented a casino knows that concept. Um, but, you know, the, the discussion, I think, is much deeper than this. I mean, you brought up mis fixing mistakes, you brought up dispute resolution, uh, you're, you know, you're bringing up the concept, obviously, of surveillance and making sure there's no fraud. But there's a lot of very legitimate business angles other than just trying to avoid fraud with what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Fraud and errors is a big factor when it comes to table games. But something else that comes up is that it's actually just hard to know what's going on in terms of you know how how fast are, are my games going how many people are usually there they're playing um you know what are the favorite games of the players uh what's the expected revenue that i should have you know casinos have very little tools right now to actually just track what's going on so they just have to rely on at the end of the day open up their box which you know cash was in and try to figure out how much was lost that day so there's a lot of information that casinos uh, need so that they can make better decisions and just know how they should you know run these table games so there's a lot of different angles to, to to basically tracking these games. So a lot of what you know what I'm hearing from you is you know this is an efficiency 
business model angling. There's a more, potentially a marketing angle to all of this. You know, when you get away from, like I said, the, the eye in the sky monitoring, there's a mm-hmm. lot of very legitimate business angles, which I would have to assume are very useful at uh, it, it, and applying across to other businesses. I mean, obviously the frequency of transactions, the side of transactions, cash registers have done that for a lot of businesses in the past, but it hasn't necessarily worked out to how many people walk through the front door and how much they spent uh, net net. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. I mean, we we develop this expertise in, in basically we detect small objects and we track objects at a distance and, and in real time. And that's something that we can apply to different industries. And it's always in these industries where there's a lot of human interactions that are very hard to track. As you said, you know, how many people are coming in? How are people walking around uh, in a store? You know, what sort of habits do people have and what can we learn from them? So there's definitely applications you know, um, in, in shrink in stores for, for theft, but also in industrial quality assurance or, or sort of tracking um, of, uh, of speed of, uh, I don't know, on uh, assembly lines, the speed of, uh, of workers or, you know, things of that nature. So what do you what do you respond to people that tell you you're creating, you know, George Orwell's 1984, the big brother is always watching software. <laughs> you know, what is, what's your answer to that? Because I'm sure there's a few people that have kind of given you that 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 comment before. Yeah. There's multiple things to it. I mean, first of all, what we do is is help with people that are already sort of doing this job. They're just doing it manually with a piece of paper and an Excel spreadsheet. But also something that's important in, in what we do is we don't actually concentrate on, on who specifically. So we don't do any facial tracking. We don't sort of detect who that person is. We just want to know general information about you know the, the way that operations are in a specific, a specific place. So we're not here to track you specifically. We're here to understand uh, how do people interact with this situation. But so so how do you I mean, I, it's a very noble uh, cause, but how do you keep a casino or anybody else from not using this in a facial recognition or some kind of component at the end of the day that, you know, it's, it, it's been the discussion for years, you know, I create this wonderful technology that could save the world, but if it falls into the wrong hands. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be abused and misused. And I, I can see the same thing here. I can see so many practical business applications to this, but I can also see the negativity of somebody saying they saw Mike Newton, you know, walk into the casino eight times last week. And and, and just like, you know, of course, my phone doesn't hear what I'm saying, tracks my, my, my spending patterns. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing is that in, in casinos right now, if you opt in, so that's something that you can already do if you want to become a you know, have a reward points and everything, then, then they will actually track you. They'll track how much you spend because they'll give you reward points. So actually, most of the time, players want that to have get incentivized to do so the same way you might go to the SIQ and, and get a card for your points. Uh, so most often, that's something players actually want and opt in because they will get rewards for it. And then something else, you know, as I said, we, we don't give that capability to actually track uh, these people. And casinos actually are one of the places where uh, privacy is a huge concern for them. So most casinos actually don't necessarily want uh, to have that information available anywhere because they're always very, very afraid to, to basically uh, lose the privacy of the players. A lot of people go to casinos, they want to have that stay private. That's not usually something that casinos actually specifically look to do, you know, about trying to, uh, to, to out uh, who, who comes to their casino. 
Right. I mean, but but as a patron frequencing, uh, uh, if I, if I choose not to take a points card, then I still recognize that the moment I walk into a public place, that it's still, I just don't want to be followed subsequent to all of that. And I guess that's where, it's, like anything else, I guess this is this will be an evolution of the utilization of software. And, and it's funny while we're talking, you know, I was thinking I was watching the hockey game the other night, and between periods, they determined that you know there was 22 shots on net, and they can tell you exactly pinpoint where the shots have come from. Uh, and, you know, scoring chance is not a scoring chance. You know, we do this for hockey and here's an industry that, you know, whether morally it's acceptable to everybody or not, and I know it's not in many cases, but here's an industry that's being run in, in certainly in Canada by the government. Uh, I mean, that ability to have access to data is, is huge. I mean, you see for years, we kind of felt like they were running by the seat of their pants. Yeah, I definitely understand, um, the, the challenge here and, and the concern here. And that's something that we we deal with every day. And, and part of you know the values that we have as a company, the, the most important one is trust and transparency. Um, because these are important discussions that we do have with the people we work with, because it is a big concern. And to be honest, we don't necessarily have the right answer. We don't know what the answer is uh, going, going forth in the future, but it's still a big concern that we have. So that's why as of right now, you know, it's very important to us to work with casinos and, and really understand their needs and and the needs of their clients as well, and to make sure that you know everybody's comfortable with the amount of information that we can track. So, where would where I mean, obviously the 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 morals and 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 your values and what you're putting out there, uh, you know, some people would be very suspect based on the industry that you're in, and 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 I you know I don't necessarily share that because I think that you can be moralistic. And you can have proper values no matter what industry you may be in, and, and, and it's how you would adhere to them. The problem that you may have is ultimately once it leaves your hands that there's a lack of control subsequent to that and so how do you how how will you decide you know who you're going to partner with and where is this going to be purely mercenary say hey anybody wants our software we're going to sell or or do you are you looking at this and saying hey you know there is a place for this and we want to make sure it ends up a little bit like people you know working in the dealing towards the environment mm -hmm. no definitely we do do pick the people we work with but i mean something important to know about this technology of course if it somehow is stolen or leaked people would have access to the code but the way we interact with casinos they have no changing in the code or change what is the information that they're tracking so we always have a hand in that so it's not something that you know i understand the fear but in this specific case in the way we operate we have no interest in having our code sort of you know open in the wild we want to keep that to ourselves uh, so we obviously have control over what it is we track and we can decide if you know there are certain informations we might not want to track and Mike, when we talk about the future of um, of monitoring, you know, obviously a lot of this is going to be done by AI, as we've mentioned in the past. Uh, but this is something that is going to be increasingly important to all business owners, uh, especially those that are remote and watching their businesses from a distance. And I think one thing we have to recognize is, uh, you know, we we look at some of these uh, because they're front and center. Um, but you know, if you if you have a if you have a smartphone uh, and you've shopped online, I hate to break it to you, but uh, there is already uh, an ongoing, uh, shall we call it, monitoring that's occurring. So you know, I I, I don't want to you know to to hit uh, a couple of industries because they happen to be moving in a direction that our daily retail of uh, moved at. And we kind of gave Matthew a little bit of a a grilling, I guess, in the first part of this. But there are there are some benefits to these things, and and I think one of them. Matthew is 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 the conflict resolution, which you know happens on a frequent basis at at, at, at establishments, whether that's a store or you know change that's been provided, or whether that is you know sitting at the blackjack table. There, are, there are, people make mistakes. That's right, that's right. And and to give an example, because you know we're really concentrated on on table games right now, but it's something that we see happening. You know, it's it's two people really playing 
uh, one in front of the other. So errors and, and mistakes are bound to happen. And every time we talk to, to casinos, a, a story that they all and that they're very proud of is every time the dealer might make a mistake and maybe not pay the right amount to a certain player, they love to be able to you know, find that out, come back half an hour later, correct the mistakes, give them the, the money that was owed to them. Um, because a casino, what they really want, is, what's really important to them is trust and to be able to have the best client experience uh, for their patrons. And so they want to know, hey, we made a mistake. The casino has to correct that um, for the, the client's benefit. So really, this is just about making the game as fair as possible and making sure that the rules are are followed. So the application to this, I mean, obviously, right now you're sitting with Lotto Quebec and, and, and there are a number of other North American casinos. Uh, the casino model in uh, in Europe or the casino model in Macau or the you know or on a cruise ship uh, have been very different over the years. Is this something that ultimately, from a software perspective, you're looking at trying to to work with going forward? Yes, really, we know that our software can can benefit establishments all across the world. Um, however, they will all be a little bit different. They'll be different uh, in the sense of what games that they use. They'll be different in the in the way of what technology they're already using as of right now. And so the casinos are not all on the same level in terms of what information that they do gather as of right now and what information they do not have. Uh, so yeah. something big that we do to reach all of these different markets is that we concentrate on you know software only. So we connect to existing overhead cameras. We don't want to add any extra hardware on the table. We want to make it as simple as possible to do this installation. So basically, you're maintaining proprietary uh, control over all of this. The IP is hook motions and ultimately that ability to tailor and whether it's a casino, whether it's a retail store uh, is, is a very viable option for you. That's right. So it begs the question, marketing. I mean, you, you kind of look at this and you say, hey, you know, at the end of the day, does this does this type of thing sell itself? You have a great example with a lot of Quebec. Uh, you know, does it, is it going to continue to sell to casinos or other, you know, uh, other applications? Or are you guys pounding the pavement and 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 continuing to sell this and, and, and move this forward like you would any other software play? Mm -hmm. for, for sure, the, the way that to, to this market, it's, it's a very niche industry, uh, the casino industry. So, it's a lot of direct contact, who you know, and and meeting people, you know, one uh, I guess introduction at a time. Um, but the word goes word goes fast. So you know, in in the beginning, it's it's very it was very hard to get in touch with people. But the more people you know, the easier it is to start talking to these casinos. Um, it's it's as I said, it's niche and it's it is a very concentrated industry. So when you go up to the to the big casinos, a lot of them are owned by you know only a few groups. When you move forward on this, I mean, obviously you're going to have to engage. Uh, programmers, you're going to have to continue to build an infrastructure. If you start, you know, going into retail or you start going into other industries, uh, it's. I'm assuming it's going to cost a few dollars. What is what's the plan for either partnering financially, going to VCs? Do you have you looked at this yet? Is this something that is already in place, or you know, where I, I'd love to think you could finance this all by yourself, but I'm sure you're going to need some partners. Well, yeah, no, that's for sure. I wish we could finance it all by ourselves. But I mean, we we have been using all the resources that were available to us. Um, that means that we we have received some actual uh, revenue from contracts, but we've also have raised a, what we call a, a pre-seed, so a first sort of round of investment, and we've been able to basically uh, utilize a lot of different subsidies. So in in Quebec and in Canada, we don't have uh, the best access to I guess early stage investments, um, but 
to help these uh, companies like ourselves, the government of Quebec and Canada have put a lot of different programs from the Ministère de l'Économie et de l'Innovation or the CNRC in Canada to help sort of businesses. So we've been utilizing a lot of these grants and subsidies to help us grow. So Mathieu, the brings up an interesting point, and we had this in, uh, on some other programs, and and we'll continue to have this conversation going forward, which is, you know, the 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 public-private interaction going forward on development, and whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in technology, whether that is, you know, in any area where government finding financing has traditionally been strong, uh, and we all know that you know the public coffers are are, are very low, so. While you're working with Lotto Quebec, I mean, you're working with a government entity. Is this, does a lot of Quebec look at this purely for their own benefit or is Lotto Quebec looking at this with you as, you know, a bigger play at the end of the day? For, for sure. Um, a big goal of, of Lotto Quebec and something that they always want to do and they're proud of is they want to encourage and work with, you know, Quebec-based companies, right? So uh, a, a big thing here is, yes, they they, they need the solution, um, but they also want to to help startups build, you know, uh, build themselves up in Quebec and remain here. So they, they have these two goals in mind. So I, you know, again, a lot of people can will, will, will pass judgment on the fact that it's the casino industry or the gambling industry. And there's no doubt that that is a moralistic approach that none of us have a right to to question. Um, but I think the important aspect here is the, to me, is the young uh, entrepreneurial mindset of, uh, you know, fresh out of school, trying to develop something. And, and like anything else that you develop, it can go for good or it can go for bad. And, you know, as you look down the road, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for you guys. And, and I think that this is an important uh, important element of, uh, you know, Quebec technology. I mean, having come out of ETS and that continued development of things, I think, is uh, is a very important and a very encouraging sign of 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 the Quebec economy continuing to emerge. And uh, you know, like I said earlier, that uh, you know, if you think that you're you're not already being watched by your smartphone, uh, then everybody needs to uh, to be realistic at at the end of the day. And I think anything is going to improve uh, the position, but I can't guarantee, nor can you. I guess the the ultimate usage at the end of the day, and that's where all of us have to have to play our role in in maintaining a strong and a sane environment. Um, I guess my one last question to you um, really is, it revolves around uh, working together. You started with classmates. You started mm-hmm. uh, developing something. Uh, what are the good and the bad, the happiness? You know, I mean, is is, is this a, a a shared passion? Is this I recruited you? Like, there's obviously a lot that goes on in an early stage entrepreneurial environment, and uh, for a lot of people, it's very scary, and for some, it's it's fascinating. What's it been like for you guys? I think what most people say it's it's a roller coaster. So there's very clearly some some ups and downs. Um, I think something big in the way we started is we we were committed from the get-go uh, in the sense that, you know, in a matter of weeks from hearing uh, what the sort of the challenges are and understanding a bit more about the industry, we we went all in. Basically, you know, we, we, we all left our jobs and started working on the project full time. Um, so th- that was something that was important to us because we were really committed to this project. But it also means that there were all, you know, a whole lot of other extra pressures and stresses. You know, we, we ate a lot of ramen, a lot of peanut butter for, for a long, long time. Uh, because we would feel, you know, every ups and downs of the company, you know, completely. But that's that's part of the fun. I, I do believe it's something that we we enjoyed in a way, even the bad moments. It's something we could look back on, and uh, we have many ups and downs that are, you know, still to come. Right? That's just part of the the life that we chose. 
So starting off like you did, Mathieu, uh, with a small uh, environment, uh, the reality of creating a corporate structure and an infrastructure, uh, we all know accountants uh, don't make good engineers and engineers don't make good accountants and neither one sometimes make really good programmers. So, um, you know, how have you decided to build a corporate structure around a, uh, what I guess started out as, as kind of a cross-the-table conversation? Yeah, well, actually, uh, it wasn't so bad. Yes, for sure. Um, there was a lot of learning, and that's why we, we participated in many incubators. But for myself, I actually studied mechanical engineering, so I knew nothing about coding or computer vision. And, and that sort of helped me um, because I have worked in, in R&D uh, sector before uh, as a toy inventor and, and before that on electric buses. But uh, because this was totally out of my element, the actual technology, it allowed me to focus really on the business. And so when I talked to people that I wanted to, to join uh, the team and do this project with me, I chose people who had you know, different expertise in terms of programming, for example. So uh, definitely was still a challenge in, in the beginning um, because a lot of it was also just learning how to run a business or how to start a business. Um, but it's something we grew into. How many people are you now? Uh, we're eight. And when 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 did this first when did you first kind of have the the inkling or the seedling of of this project? How many years ago? Uh, so about uh, two and a half, uh, a bit more than two and a half years ago. So as I said, it went very fast. I think I heard about the problem in March. Uh, in April, I had my first presentation to a lot of Quebec. And in May, um, we all quit our jobs and started the company. <laughs> That's a, that I call that a leap of faith. And what do you what do you think, Dan? I call that a leap of faith on my end. Confidence. I love it. I I mean, it's, it's it's when when you quit a job to start your passion project, you can only you can only respect that. Metzger class of Hook Motion. Thanks so much for dropping by. Pleasure. Thank you. Our guest is Metzger class. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. But first, let's speak to Jean-François Odette, partner and VP at the Group Fuller-Landau. He'll talk to us about the importance of due diligence in a business transaction. And Mike, like you say, uh, due deal, uh, extremely important if you're in a growing tech company, multiple investors, new partners, um, you got to look at the paperwork. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm going to start even before that, because I think the purpose of, of why you're doing a transaction is a very important question to ask. You know, the guys that are going to do the due diligence work. So we're going to talk to JF in a second about actually doing the due diligence work. But to me, the very first question you ask yourself is, why am I getting into this transaction? Why am I looking at buying this business? Am I looking to integrate suppliers? Am I looking to integrate products? Am I doing this for personnel? Why am I buying or looking to, to, to do a merger with somebody? And once you get that question answered, now you can take and build a direction. And, and many of the due deals I've seen go wrong over the years have been very poor initial purpose. Okay. And I guess it's like, you know, Simon Sinek says it's why begin with the end. It's very similar when it comes to this discussion of due diligence. And, and JF, I mean, you know, why is due diligence a must? Why, why, would, why would anybody go there? Why would anybody spend the money to do what you do? Well, first, just a little bit of perspective. So the due diligence in the current market, which is pretty hot by the way in Canada specifically, we're back to the pre-pandemic levels and we're on track to have a, 21, a 2021 year, which will be stellar in terms of uh, M&A. So uh, with this said, and also with the significant amount of liquidity available in the market, you want to make sure that you know it is invested where you'll get the best return. And not only that, but you want to make sure as a purchaser that you're not getting into something messy, or at the very least, I mean, if 
you, you want to know what, you, what, what risk you're facing and what challenges are upon you if the transaction is to close. So there are many angles to a due diligence. It's, it's, it's not just the financials that we, we would typically think of. I mean, yes, it's a big chunk. Uh, you want to better know the business. You want to understand if there's a concentration where, you know, the, the, the whole business model relies on one or two mo- uh, vendors that are controlling your supply chain. And, you know, at the opposite, you know, how many clients are you servicing? Are you a type of business that, you know, as one big client representing more than 80% of your top line that you're kind of dependent upon if, and if it goes bankrupt, well, what's next? What do you do? How do you, you know, find that uh, profitability? Uh, also for, you know, the accounting policies, you, you, you want to know how aggressive the accounting policies are because that, that could, you know, at some point in time, if you are being audited, it could trigger, uh, you know, tax assessments. So um, there's also the HR angle, like you, you want to better know what the people in place are capable of, what, 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 what are their skills, what's the turnover. There's an envir- environmental component to a transaction as well. So there are many different angles to a transaction, and it's not the typical, you know, financial that, that you would think of. So that, that's a big amalgamation of, you know, uh, all these little things. So when I look at due diligence, I've always looked at it in two elements. I've looked at, am I getting what I think I'm getting? Right. So there's that, there's that first angle. And the second is, am I, what am I, what am I getting that I don't know about? And, and those to me, you know, are, are the two big questions that I've always asked is, and, and obviously in order to do due diligence. And, and if you want, if I'm walking into your office and I say, Hey, you know, I want to know what I'm getting. And I want you to tell me what I'm, what I don't know what I'm getting. What do you include in a due diligence? How do you, how do you structure something? How do you look into try and answer those two questions? So the, the way we're going to be structuring the due diligence, well, at the end of the day, it's still a financial transaction. You're paying a big price to get something. So th- there's always the, the, the financial angle that will be a, a big chunk of the due deal. So there's the concept of looking at the profitability and you want to be able to normalize that profitability, uh, including the post-acquisition synergies and to, you know, adjust the profitability, the current profitability for, you know, those uh, items that will not be recurring in essence for the future. So you can think about, uh, you know, management paying out bonuses. You can think of, you know, management having, you know, kids on the payroll that are not necessarily working there. So there, these are the little things that you want to, 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 to fully grasp. So you can come up with your normalized EBITDA. And at that moment, uh, your normalized EBITDA, you can, you know, convert that into, uh, a, a matrix, which is, you know, your, the, the, the multiple, how much are you paying for the business in terms of EBITDA multiple? And thereafter, you can benchmark that a matrix against either, you know, publicly traded companies and uh, past transactions, just to, you know, make sure that you're not paying too much for, for, for that company. Um, there is a very uh, interesting point that you've mentioned, Mike, uh, in the intro uh, about uh, the, the people. And, you know, in this market that, you know, we're talking about the great resignation and more and more transactions are really driven by those, you know, getting access to that workforce, which is not something that we weren't necessarily seeing in the past, but this is becoming something pretty, pretty big and pretty, uh, pretty important from a purchaser standpoint of view. Um, So, and again, we've touched on the environment also a bit. So, uh, 
you know, you can always uh, run some background checks on companies that own businesses just to look at the historical behind it to see, you know, before that business or before that building, what was there? Like, did, did we have a gas station 30 years ago that, you know, might lead to some, you know, uh, oil spill issues that, you know, if I buy that business, I'm, I'm going to be liable for. So, again, it's a moving target, right? And, 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 and as you go into the process, based on the findings, there's always more that you can add to the scope. And that, that, that's where I see it's a moving target because, yes, you come up with a, a, frame, a, a work frame at the beginning, but, you know, it, it, it's going to move during the work. Uh, there's going to be things you'll be finding. There's going to be things that, you know, uh, you, you, you'll, you'll, be, you, you'll be drilling down much more because you found something. So, again, it, it, it's not like there's a checklist, but when you look at the checklist at the beginning of the, the engagement and the, the checklist when you're done, well, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the same thing. I think, I think one of the important elements, I think, uh, JF and all of this is, you know, it, it, a lot of people look at due diligence as black and white. A lot of people look at it as, you know, checking the boxes and, and a checklist, uh, running the numbers from a B valuation perspective. But I think there's also a very soft element to all of this. And I think that goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning, which is what is the intention and what is the purpose of, of, your, of you doing a transaction? And, you know, you said it very well when it comes to resources and people you're getting. Very difficult to quantify. Uh, uh, the value associated with, and I think you have to be willing to incorporate that into your valuation component to, as well. Jean-François O'Day, partner and VP at Le Groupe Fuller Landau. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Dan. And at the end of every show, as we like to do, we turn to our guest, Matsir Class, founder of Hook Motion, and we ask you, Matsir, for your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, please. Right. Um, I guess my one piece of advice um, comes back to a bit, I guess, of what I did, but I think it's really important to as soon as you can commit to your project, even though you're not exactly sure exactly what it is you, you want to do, maybe there's always going to be improvements. And the only way to find out if your idea is good, if you need to change it, is to actually go out there and ask people and talk about it. So I think the best way to really start something is you have to commit from the get-go, right? So that would be my one piece of advice. And also, you know, just don't be afraid to, to ask for help. We have so many different programs and so many people that are so willing to help uh, entrepreneurs. Um, that you shouldn't be afraid to ask if you you want to learn something new. Excellent, I think uh, great. You know, I, I I'm going to finish off on a really professional, classy note. This this whole conversation reminds me a little bit of Spider Man. With great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and I think Matthew, you know, uh, the, the 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 strength of of the work that you guys are putting together is like any other business or any other entity. It's what you do with it and how you how you apply it, and and you know. Uh, Kudos to you for, for getting this off the ground. And I think your challenge will, will likely come in the way you guys decide you want to be perceived and how you want to be used. So yeah, always remember those words of Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> class, Hook Motion, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And a reminder, you can subscribe to Today's Entrepreneur as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. And uh, log on to todaysentrepreneur.org to listen to hundreds of those local entrepreneur profiles as well. Be back here next week. Thanks, Dan. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.